We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, this is Ricky O'Donnell. I'm with Jason Pat. Jason, say hello. What's up, Ricky? How are you? I'm great. This is the first episode of our new Chicago Bulls podcast. Now, Jason and I, uh, if you're listening to this, we assume you're familiar with our work from either espionation.com, from Twitter, from Bloggable. Jason and I have been thinking about starting a Bulls podcast basically all summer. And we took, how long was it, Jason? About two months just to determine the name. Just procrastinators, just classic stuff. Really bad. Getting the season figures. We went through a bunch of names. We had some ideas. Let's tell people about some ideas we had. The first one I came up with was the two alphas. But that one couldn't work because we all know there's only three alphas. Ron was the third alpha. Yeah, I did, I did, that one would have been pretty funny. I could have been down with that, but I like like the one we ended up choosing better. What else, what else did we have? We had we uh, thinking about older and less athletic, which would have been a play on Gar Foreman's infamous younger and more athletic offseason comment before signing Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo. Right, exactly. And we, we were thinking about the older and less athletic because we're both kind of getting old. We're old. old. At very unathletic white dudes. So we kind of thought that would have been kind of funny, but then we ended up moving on to something else. And what did we end up choosing, Ricky? We're going with Cash Considerations, which is the first name I chose. I've ran it by a lot of my friends. About 70% of them think it's great. About 20% of them think that the Bulls will never acknowledge our existence again because we're just prodding them in the side continually. Probably true. And then 10% thought people would believe it's like a personal finance podcast. <laughs> now, no one should trust me with their money. I don't know about you, Joseph. Yeah, yeah definitely. You don't want, get, don't want that. But if there's one thing we do know as Bulls fans, it's their long and storied history of being the financial champs. Yep. Uh, very long story. So I feel like I'm trying to think of when it really first like started being a thing. I know like, I feel like the, after Derrick Rose went down and they had that all offseason, they traded Kyle Korver. I know that was one of the first things that I just – I'm sure this goes even back further than this, but, like, the Kyle Korver trade for basically the, – the unused Kyle Korver trade exception. And then there's just been, like, a laundry list, like, since then. I believe there was – Blue All Dang was traded for – to save money, basically, and then they ended up getting – I think – basically, I think the tra- the pick, I think they got in that trade – I think might have turned into Jordan Bell, which is basically what the name of the podcast is after. Was the Bulls traded that draft pick that was Jordan Bell for cash considerations for the Golden State Warriors, three point five million. Jordan Bell even like referenced that last season, so we just kind of thought that that would be a hilarious name. Just it's obviously a little dig at the Bulls. We've we've had our issues with the Bulls in recent years, but you know we're starting this podcast now. Even though we're taking these digs at them, we're kind of hoping that maybe that this is the start of a turnaround for the Bulls. And I guess let's maybe use that in going into this uh, this upcoming season. They just finished up their preseason. And, how, I mean, how are you feeling about the Bulls right now? That's kind of in general. After the Jimmy Butler trade last summer, after after the last season's weird stuff, it's kind of where's, where's your head at with the Bulls right now? I'm still thinking of when... The Warriors started Jordan Bell against the Bulls, yeah. just the assholes. Jordan Bell gets introduced 
while doing like the cash money signs, the cash money signs with his fingers, like pay me. Jordan Bell is a great game. Warriors win, obviously. In the post game press conference, Jordan Bell's asked about it and said, quote, I just wanted to see how cash considerations was playing over there. And that's kind of the vibe I think we're going for on this podcast as we start it for the very first time. We don't really know what we're doing. We're going to figure it out, hopefully, as we go along. There's a lot of other really good Bulls podcasts from the one Stefan Noah and Will Gottlieb do at The Athletic to our buddy Mark from Australia, who does a great Bulls podcast, to Lockdown Bulls with Matt Peck and Jordan Malley. Uh, but hopefully we think that we can find uh, our own niche on this because I think people know by now uh, the type of Bulls coverage you get from Jason and I. And what I would like to think is it's just honest, right? Like, Jason yeah. and I have no agenda in this. We both grew up as lifelong Bulls fans. Uh, we're both lifelong Chicagoans. I've never lived anywhere else. Are you, Jason? Uh, nope. To, uh, Chicago suburbs and been in Chicago for the last few years. So, yeah. That, that's me, too. So, like, we probably have a reputation as being negative on Twitter that's, about Bulls. That's absolutely true. I get, I get, I had somebody at me today that I'm, uh, it's like, do you ever do anything besides, like, talk down on the Bulls? And this was in a response to me making, or making a joke about Sam Smith picking Jabbar to win six man and Levine to win most improved player, which is uh, pretty laughable if you ask me. But I, which is the funny thing about all this is I think I'm almost a little more positive than like most of like the, the general experts are, or at least about the Bulls this season. But I still most fans think I'm being too negative because I don't think they're going to be like awesome. Against and the key point in all this, though, is we're not negative for any reason other than it's our honest opinion, right? Like, we have no agenda. They've given us reasons to be negative. <laughs> I want the Bulls to win the championship every damn year. I would love nothing more than for the Bulls to be fucking awesome. But yeah. here's the thing. They're not. And there's two types of sports fans, I feel like. The first type of sports fan is the type of person who will, like, show up to their support their local high school football team even if that team is garbage. These are like the 1,000 people in the stands at White Sox game when it's cold out in, in you know, late September, even though they've been mathematically eliminated for like two months at that point. But they still go because like the White Sox are part of their identity and they just love, you know, their high school football team with the White Sox so bad they'll support them through thick and thin. Those are their guys. Jason and I are not that way. Jason and I are the other type of sports fan where I feel like we're enlightened uh, and we demand more out of a franchise that, let's be honest, has more resources or as many resources as any team in the NBA. The Bulls have led the, the Bulls have led the league in attendance for nine years in a row. They led the league in attendance last year while obviously taking tanking, transparently tanking. They were resting healthy players to lose games. They traded Nikola Mirotic, who was their best player in the middle of the season. For a draft pick, obviously the Bulls' only plan last year was to lose and try to maximize the value of their draft pick. Uh, so I think Jason and I are coming at this. We're starting this podcast because we think that we can just tell the truth. We don't need to be fair and balanced, really, at all. We're just going to tell you, you know, what we think. We have no agenda. I don't think Wendell Carter is going to be an awesome rookie for the Bulls. I think that him and Larry Markinen are going to be a terrific young front court. They can build this team around. And I also think the Bulls still have a ton of problems that mostly start from the top down. So that's sort of the uh, the sales pitch on this podcast, and we're going to see how it goes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I guess I can't really put that put that much better. We're just right, gonna, so bowl season starts Thursday. Yeah. They got Philly at Philly. This. Preseason has concluded. Uh, what was the Bulls' preseason record? Was it two and three? Uh, they played three games. They got smoked in two of them. Well, I guess they got smoked in one of them. The Hornets game, they got smoked, but it was close. They lost the last one. Yeah, they were, so they were two and three. They won a couple home games. They had a couple stretches where they looked good. Uh, it was actually quite the, I guess it was quite the eventful preseason, considering what was going on with Jabari and Wendell Carter Jr. got moved in the starting lineup, and Levine had some pretty sweet stuff. So, like, it's kind of hard to get into preseason, but, like, the Bulls actually had some pretty interesting stuff going on. Yeah, and I think that what we want to do here in this episode, this first episode, is distill it down to three main takeaways from the preseason uh, to try to give some people, you know, some context on 
on what was going on as the season starts on Thursday. So uh, I think, you know, the number one takeaway for me from the preseason is the benching of Jabari Parker. Now, I was not I was not high. I was not optimistic uh, on the Jabari Parker signing when it happened. I was actually on the uh, NBC Sports Chicago TV show, Sports Talk Live, like 20 minutes after that news dropped. We didn't know the length of the contract. We didn't know any, you know, how much money he was going to make, none of the details. And I just had to form an opinion really quick on the fly, and I said, I love Jabari Parker. I think he has a big heart. I want him to succeed more than anything in the world. But I just don't think Jabari Parker is very good in this era of NBA basketball. And, uh, you know, despite that, the Bulls, they had him slotted as a small forward. That's what management was thinking coming into the signing. Uh, and he lasted four games as a starter for the Bulls. In the fourth, three, three games, I guess. In the fourth preseason game, Jabari Parker was officially benched. I don't know if he played a minute of small forward the entire preseason. I, he was at power forward because of the Lowry Martinez. That was mostly power forward. There might have been some small forward in there, but it was definitely mostly power forward because of Lowry. And yeah, it just, those first couple of preseason games, I know they won the first one against the Pelicans. They put up like 130 points. Jabari was okay. He had some moments, but then, those next two where they got just absolutely destroyed. I know the Bucks killed everybody this preseason, but that game the Bulls just weren't competitive at all. And the Hornets game was kind of the same. Jabari is just he's just not look good. The, la- the last game he finally finally picked it up. I think he scored like 19 points on 11 shots. But before that, he was at like sub 30 percent shooting. He just and he just looked just bad. He looked slow. He was jacking up long mid range shots defensively, just getting picked on. It was just. It was like all the worst that we were thinking of with this signing was like coming to fruition. And a lot of the problems we thought was going to be with him playing small forward. And we thought, oh, maybe at power forward he'd be a little better. And it was just not happening until this last game after the benching. So, like, what, what, like do you, what do you think? Do you think this is going to be a long-term thing? Do you think Bobby Portis is going to stay, stay the starting power forward and they're going to keep Jabari coming off the bench? Like, I guess, what do you think overall about that? How, how do you think about his reaction? Because it did not seem like he was too happy with it. Well, I have two main takeaways from it. The first takeaway is that I give Fred Hoiberg a ton of credit and a ton of respect for doing this. Hoiberg's reputation as a coach uh, up to this point was someone who got walked all over by his players. The defining moment being Jimmy Butler saying that Hoiberg needs to coach the team harder publicly in the media. Uh, Especially that three alphas year, it just seemed like Hoiberg didn't really command the respect of the team. Now, when Jabari came in, he was obviously mentally small forward. Uh, the Bulls front office viewed this as a low risk move with maybe some upside potential, right? Yeah. It took Fred Hoiberg three damn preseason games <laughs> to realize his front office is fucking stupid. Like, how you could sign Jabari Parker to play small forward when you already have Zach Levine on the other wing? It was going to be a disaster. Yeah, and uh, Casey Johnson, I think. Obviously, obviously, he's been playing power forward, but I think KC reported after like the second game, maybe the third game, that they there have already been internal discussions about just bailing on Jabari at the three just altogether. Like like you said, it took them three games to be like, uh, I don't think this is going to work here. So like, just, he didn't even get out of the damn preseason. Yeah. He didn't even play a minute of small forward. He was that bad at power forward. Now imagine putting him yeah. at what isn't his best position on the floor and seeing how he would be. So... You know, Jabari's a talented player. I actually love Jabari as a person. I think that, you know, if the worst thing that happens with the Bulls and Jabari Parker is that Jabari comes in for his one year, he uses his platform and his wealth to do a lot of good in the community to make a big impact, which we've already seen him do in the short time he's been on the Bulls. Yep. I mean, hell, that might be more important than basketball, you know? When it comes to the bigger picture, absolutely. And he, I know he wrote that, uh, he had that Players Tribune article that he wrote, I think, last year that was... It's like really inspiring to read about Chicago and all that stuff. So yeah, like he seems like off the court, just a lot of great stuff. It's just when we're talking about on the court, just hasn't hasn't panned out. I mean, he's gonna be better. Like I I don't want to be super 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 down on him because he's he can't be any worse than what he was in some of these preseason games. Like he started playing better this last game. He will be a little bit better. And I'll be curious to see. I know one of the reasons why Hoiberg did this move was to get hit the ball in his hands more because. Obviously, Cameron Payne sucks. Like, terrible, terrible backup point guard. The Bulls just signed Tyler Eulis. Maybe he'll end up being the backup point guard at some point. But with Cameron Payne being terrible and, like, the Bulls' backup point guards being no good, 
putting Jabari off the bench and making him be like a little point forward, not not a terrible idea. Like you said, give Fred some credit for that. I know Jabari initially claimed that Fred didn't really give him a good reason. It seems like that might not have been true. It's, I feel like Fred's talked about changing stuff up and just trying different things. So I think Jabari will be better in terms of actually living up to that, that much money. If he'll actually be around long-term, I don't know about that. And I definitely don't think he's going to win sixth man of the year like Sam Smith thinks. But hopefully he the, the play comes up a, a little bit because – it was really painful to watch some of those games. What really bums me out is Jabari is, like, objectively a good dude, right? Uh, but for someone who is so selfless with his time and with his money off the court, on the court, he feels a little entitled. And I just feel like his biggest issue for Jabari is not exactly talent. I feel like it's just, like, sort of feel for the game or just general motivation, like, He's showing showing up right now way out of shape. I think he looks totally overweight. Dude, like, this is the era of NBA basketball when these guys have so many resources at their disposal in terms of chefs getting on a pro diet, being on, you know, a really strident workout regimen. All of these things are very clearly available. Is Jabari Parker on, like, a really good diet the way everyone else in the NBA is? Is he, uh, you know getting himself in tip-top shape. Imagine if he played for the Heat, and they made him do one of those before-and-after shirtless photos. <laughs> like, Jabari is just showing up way out of shape right now. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing are just these horrible quotes about defense. Oh, yeah. that's. Like, I don't even know where they come so. from. Now, I don't have the original ones that he said uh, on Media Day in front of me. Maybe you could look those up if you want to, but... I do have one that was tweeted by Cody Westerland six well, the days ago. Well, first ones were like literally right after he got signed. I think he was on the score. I think yeah. right after he got signed, and then he said that stuff, which is probably what you're bringing up right now. Well, no, I'm not. That's not oh, the one no. I had in front of me. I have one oh. from six days ago. Oh, was, yeah. I, I know which one you're talking about there, too. It was after a preseason game. It was tweeted by a friend of the program, Cody Westerland, who's a great Bulls reporter for 670 The Score. I'm going to read this off to you. Are you concerned about the defense to this point, or do you weigh in the fact that a new scheme is being implemented and it takes time? Jabari's response. It's all the same, basically. It's just a matter of, like, trying to hit them back with a good offensive run in return. That's what I feel like. Because we go in a lot of slumps, too. We have some good looks. It doesn't help that we don't make baskets but we can't allow that to dictate our defensive energy, too. So Jabari's just like, after saying on media day that players don't get paid for defense, which is totally... Oh, here, I have, I have the original quotes. These original quotes are from July, right after he got signed. He was on the score. Uh, here we go. It's, he was asked about something about defense, and he, his response was, I don't know, I just stick to my strengths. Look at everybody in the league. They don't pay players to play defense. I'm not going to say that I won't, but to say that's a weakness is like saying that's everybody's weakness. I scored 30s and 20s off of guys who say they try to play defense. And then there was a follow-up question about switching and all that kind of stuff, because I know the Bulls have been trying to do more switching. And then he's, and then to that he said, certain guys have a scoring average. No matter what you do, they still get that average. They pay people to score the ball, and I would hope that somebody scores the ball on me if they paid them that much. So that, this is literally right after he got signed. That is just, like, the wrong attitude, man. It's like, you were the second pick in the draft. Already, like, there was only one franchise who was going to offer Jabari Parker that much money. And if Jabari was born in, like, you know, California or Michigan or Indiana or Kentucky, do you think the Bulls are giving him $20 million a year, Jason? Do you think they're signing him at all? I would lean towards no. I mean, there's just... I, I don't know who they were really like, who they were really battling with to give them that like the Kings, which like I guess this whole Bulls offseason was almost like them and the Kings battling out, and I feel like that's not who you want to be battling it out with for for players. And the Kings might be the worst franchise in sports, so that's why going back to the name of the podcast, I don't feel bad about like you know poking the Bulls a little bit here yeah. because we want the Bulls to be good, me and you, but like. Signing Jabari Parker, Hold on. I feel like anyone with half a brain fucking knew that this was a bad move. Oh, okay. Now, it is a low-risk low move. They have a team option on the second year of the deal instead of a player option, which is why they ended up paying Dwayne Wade like $34 million for one disappointing season. So that's good. 
Uh, and like we said, you know, there are some positives just having Jabari back in his hometown, but, uh, you know, his, his mindset and this entitlement that he seems to feel on the court is pretty disappointing. And, you know, in the first preseason game after Jabari was benched, they asked him about it at practice. You know, would you be comfortable coming off the bench? He said, quote, it would be a big adjustment for me. So now that we got all that out of the way, let's talk about the role the Bulls have Jabari Parker in. Uh, at the start of the season, which is going to be as a point forward coming off the bench as the sixth man. I kind of love this. And this goes, this is like another thing that I really respect Hoiberg for. Like, not only did he bench Jabari, he also made sort of a progressive move in uh, giving a lot of agency on the second unit, putting the ball in his hands, letting him make decisions. We know that the Bulls' backup point guard right now is Cameron Payne, who I don't know if he's an NBA player at all. I don't know what Cameron Payne does well on the basketball court. I don't know what the ideal version of the NBA player that is Cameron Payne looks like. So, you know, Hoiberg realizes this too, and what he does is gives Jabari Parker this point forward role. I think that's really interesting at the start of the season, and I'm I'm pretty excited to see how it goes. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier about how just the Bulls back of point guards, they just don't really have good options there. Like, we mentioned Cameron Payne. It's not good. They have, like, Antonio Blakeney is not really a point guard. He chucks up shots, that, which is – there's value in getting buckets, but backup point guard, that's not really what I'm going for. Looks Ryan Archidiakono, great college player. Guy's got a lot of grit. He's basically a poor man's Kirk Heinrich, a very poor man's. You don't want him being your backup point guard. So it's like you might as well try the guy who's a talented player and who can handle the ball a bit and who's – Jabari is a talented, decent passer, can – do some stuff like that. So, you, when, when, with Jabari in the starting lineup, you already, you already got him next to Levine and Dunn, who are doing most of the ball handling there. So that it seems like Jabari was just kind of forcing things as with the starting lineup, like so he was forcing up bad shots. And then this last preseason game, he was taking, he took a few more threes, finished a few things around the basket. And if he can be that kind of just juice up the second unit a bit, because Cameron Payne is terrible and. They don't really have any other good options at backup point guard for right now. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other part of this is elevating Bobby Portis to the starting lineup. I think Portis is primed for what's going to be a really good year. Uh, we sort of know the book on Bobby Portis at this point. He's basically a 6'11", very angry version of Monte Ellis. He is one of the most shameless gunners I've ever seen on the basketball court in my entire life. And that's why I think he he publicly embraced the six-man role coming into the season. He wasn't like, I want Jabari Parker's spot. I think Portis is as shocked as, you know, the rest of us were that Parker was benched so early in the preseason. But you know what? Portis right now is a better player. Uh, you know, Portis has his own deficiencies. He's He just doesn't have the vertical explosiveness to be a really impactful defensive player. Uh, we, we've always seen him be a minus on that end of the floor. But offensively... Bobby Portis is going to get up a ton of shots this year. I think he's going to get a lot of buckets, too. He's a 6'11 big man who can stretch the floor from three-point range. I want to say in the first preseason game, he took 19 shots in 19 yes. minutes. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> and that's just Bobby Portis in a damn nutshell right there. He was, like he was, play, he was playing He's playing for a new contract. He did not get brief news to, uh, Monday, the uh, extension deadline. He's, he's playing for a new contract. He did not get the contract extension from the Bulls. I was not surprised that that, that didn't happen because I feel like he's going to be looking for a good amount of money. The Bulls, they want to keep – they love having financial flexibility. Next offseason, they're set to have a ton of cap space. They wanted to keep that cap space as open as possible, so they weren't going to go out and shell out a ton of money for – while Portis does good things, he's probably – he's third in the pecking order in the front court now behind Lowry and Wendell Carter Jr. So they're not going to pay – a pop likely six man as much as he embraces that role as much as they like and they weren't going to pay him but i mean that just means this whole year it's gonna be bobby portis money time he's gonna be playing for that playing for that next big contract so he's gonna get up his shots he's gonna get his buckets whether he improves defensively at all if he he actually did improve a bit playmaking passing wise last year we'll see if that continues or if he's just gonna get those buckets but bobby's definitely gonna be a nice player to have we'll kind of we'll see what what happens with the season with lowry out for another Probably month, month, month and a half. He's Bobby's going to have a great opportunity, so we'll we'll see if he takes advantage of it. And so far in this preseason, he did. He was one of the team's best players, and that allowed him to get to be elevated over Jabari. Bobby Portis is hilarious because 
From the time he catches the basketball in the half court to the time he decides to shoot it, it's like .1 second. There is no hesitation. As soon as Bobby Portis catches the ball, he knows he's shooting that damn thing, which there's a lot of value towards. I mean, I used to compare him to most Spates earlier in his career, but I think, you know, he does some things that are even better than someone like Spates who carved out a long career as a, as a reserve guy. Uh, for one, he's a better three-point shooter. I don't know his three-point percentage off the top of my head. Was it about he's, about, he's around league average. I feel like he's a bit streaky. He's definitely really solid mid-range. When he gets out of the three, it's a little streakier, but I'm pretty sure he was around league average last year. I love that. 36%. Yeah, I love him in transition. He runs the floor just hard as hell, man. Uh, which he's is something that... Flex, dude. Bobby Portis time. Hit him with the double flex. I'm all about the double flex. Uh... But, like, his ability to run in transition is going to be really nice for a Bulls team this year that wants to just push the pace under Hoiberg. I'm I'm complimenting Hoiberg a lot, but I also think that's a really terrific offensive game plan by the by the Bulls coming into this year. I mean, they have all these athletes who shine sort of in space. In half-court settings, this Bulls offense, I think, could be really rough. Uh, but when they get out and run, players like Portis, players like uh, Parker and... Levine could be really special, I think. Yep, done. Chris Dunn as well. Like these are just young guys. When you got all these young guys, young athletes, you want to get out, get out and run. Like, like you said, half court offense. Once things slow down, I'm not really sure how efficient these guys are going to be. But get out these guys. They want to. We're, we've talked. We've been talking about the mythical hoy ball for for years now. This is Fred's fourth year, and like last year, even though the the Bulls were terrible, that was. Obviously, talent deficiency, but they started to play the style a bit more in terms of faster pace, in terms of more three pointers. So, and with the guys that they have on their team now, and you have all these young guys, you might as well just run and gun and hope that turns into efficient offense. Here's the problem with it, though, Jason. How do you run in basketball? You, you have to get stops, stops. <laughs> defensively. So, you need to finish possessions defensively with a defensive rebound at the very minimum, just forcing misses uh, or getting turnovers. So the Bulls now have this scenario where it's like they can only thrive offensively if they get stops defensively, yet their defense is horrible. I think it projects to be really bad, even though we were talking about this before we started recording. They actually finished 12th in defensive efficiency in the preseason, which shocked me. Uh, Jason, you said that that was because they did really well in their last game. The last game was good, and the... And they haven't given up a lot of points. Some of that has been more to do with the pace. I mean, from the games that I, I didn't watch all the games, some of the games that I watched, they obviously gave up a lot of points in the first three, four games. And then you never know about garbage time. I, let me look again at the stats. And, like, because I know, like, their first half, I feel like net rating or defensive rating was really ugly. And, like, once you get in the second half, fourth quarters of preseason games, the numbers can kind of just get thrown out the window. But let me look yeah, up. The point is, the Bulls' defense is going to be really garbage this year. I think this entire year is going to be like Twitter video clips of Jabari Parker not getting back in transition defense, of Zach Levine failing to rotate properly off the ball. And it's just going to be people like me and you being like, laugh my ass off every time that Jabari Parker or Zach Levine gets burned. Uh, that's what we're setting up for. And because of that, I don't think. I think the Bulls are going to be really bad this year because I don't think that their offensive potential, while intriguing, I don't think it's going to translate to half-court sets. I think that, you know, if they're able their, – their offense is going to be really dependent on their defense, and their defense is going to suck. I feel like there will be some games where there's enough talent on this team. There will be some games where they catch fire from three. Uh, we kind of saw that I don't, in the, the, game, the, play, the game they played against the Pacers in the preseason. We kind of saw talent come together. Levine had a big game. Just the offense, and they kind of blew them out of the water. They'll have, they'll have their games where they get out and they hit shots. The other team will maybe if they're on like at the end of a road trip, or they're just not. Is they they miss shots? Some some of the Bulls have won some crazy games the last couple of years that feels like they shouldn't have won. But they'll have their games, they'll have their moments. I think just over a long season, I just, I just don't see how that defense is going to be good enough, and how the offense will be consistently good enough. I feel like the offense should be because last year, like we said, the offense was like. The offense and defense were both, like, bottom three. I feel like the defense will probably still be around that bottom three, bottom five. Maybe the offense can get somewhere to maybe middle of the pack, maybe. But obviously that won't be enough to make up for a bottom three defense. And that and that would ultimately result in a team that doesn't win that many games. So, so yeah, I don't know. 
there was some 538 predictions today from Nate Silver that had the Bulls as the fourth worst team in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, well, even looking at Vegas, uh, when the first Vegas win totals came out, the Bulls were at like 27, which is what they won last year. They did, they did, they were one of the biggest risers though, because I think a lot of people kind of buy into the Bulls' young talent. I know, I know they got up to like 30, 30 and a half at one point. I think they're sitting around like 29, 30 right now after the marketing injury. So I think people just think they're going to at least be a little better and that their talent is somewhat legit, but that's still, I mean, if the Bulls win, Whatever. If they go like right around that 30 games, it's obviously still pretty damn bad. And I know some people, more optimistic fans, are thinking, oh, they could be a playoff team, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you got to hold your horses there. I thought maybe they could compete for a playoffs if like everything went right, if everything came together. Lowry's injury already throws a huge wrench in that. So like, I think that's like weight jumping in the gun a lot. Like, we just want to look, see these young guys hopefully take a step forward. Hopefully Lowry comes back healthy and the rest of the guys stay healthy. So, I feel like something in like I've in like the low 30s would probably make sense. Low low to mid 30s. I, I feel like that's even optimistic. I think some people think they could be even way worse than that. Yeah, I actually wanted to end this podcast with the over under and talk about if we thought they were going to go over and under. Uh, but yeah, maybe we should we should sit on that for a minute. Yeah, all right. Uh, talking about some other takeaways from this preseason, yeah. I think that you know besides for the the Portis for Parker switch. The other big thing is Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter appears, I don't know if he's been named officially, but he appears like he's going to be the Bulls' starting center on opening night, which is pretty wild, I think, given that Robin Lopez is damn good. He's, Robin Lopez, I think, is a great veteran presence for this team. Certainly a dependable, durable, productive center in a lot of different ways. Uh, but no, he's not going to start. The future is now for the Bulls. It's Wendell Carter. What's crazy about Wendell Carter Today, uh, the Washington Post released their top 100 players of the NBA. Wendell Carter was number 100. Really? I think a lot of people are really all in on the Wendell Carter bandwagon. I know I am. I wrote about him throughout Summer League as being the single most impressive rookie at NBA Summer League. Uh, I believe I saw this take from Kevin Farragut, who's NBA couch side on Twitter, another friend of the pod. Uh, I guess we can already call him that, even though this is the first episode. But he said that he would take Carter over Markkinen if they could, if we could only keep one for the Bulls. I'm totally with that because I just feel like Carter's so solid across the board. He already plays like a 10-year veteran out there, and what's really crazy is he doesn't turn 20 until April. He's gonna be 19 years old this entire season. It's pretty legit. I don't know if I'm that as high on him as you are. You obviously have a lot more experience watching him closely at Duke. I didn't watch him that closely at Duke. Obviously, I followed him a bit now. And in terms of him starting, uh, yeah, I thought he was going to – maybe like by like midseason he would start, maybe like after a Lopez trade or something like that. But it seems like Lopez – I don't know if he was sandbagging or just whatever, slow playing, but he was really bad. He looked awful in these few preseason games. And it's tough to like – make judgments about whatever, like a veteran guy, a like 10-year veteran dude who's just kind of, I don't know, the young team like this, like you wonder like in preseason, what's the motivation to play well? But he looked so bad, and Wendell Wendell looked decent enough. And he's, had, he's hit or miss, but like you said, he's so young. He's going to be 19 all year. That's gonna It's going to happen with young players. So I'm kind of stoked about that. Like I did not think he'd be taking over this soon. And I mean, and he just might as well. Like what, what do you have to lose at this point? Like Lopez is still there. It'll be a veteran leader, but you might as well just get get your young stud in there getting and getting as much time with these other young guys as possible to see what you got. Do we give the Bulls front office credit for drafting Wendell Carter? I'll go first. Yeah. I mean, Fuck I, no. Fuck no, no, they don't get credit. They would have gladly taken a worse player over Wendell Carter if given the opportunity. I think they would have taken Marvin Bagley over him. I think they probably would have taken Mo Bamba over him. You know what? Carter might be the second or third best player from this draft when it's all said and done. I think he has a chance to be the best, even. I love Doncic. I love Luka Doncic. I'm all in on him. But Carter can be that special. And, you know, for for Bulls fans who didn't watch him at Duke, for Bulls fans who don't really know what to expect this season from a 19-year-old starting center, I think here's the elevator pitch. You look at this Bulls roster, and to me the thing that jumps out the most about it is how many one-way players are on the team, right? Like Chris Dunn tremendous defensive player. He's just not very good on offense because he can't make a layup, he can't make a free throw, and he can't make a three. So he's a below-average offensive player. Zach Levine, really talented offensive skill set. Defensively, he's trash. Parker 
has some offensive talent. We haven't even really seen that translate to production. Defensively, an abomination. Markinen, I think that he was better defensively than almost anyone anticipated last year as a rookie. It was still still wasn't good, though. Plus, on that side of the ball, maybe if he can be like an average defensive four, that would be solid for the Bulls. Carter, though. Carter could maybe be a B-plus, maybe an A-minus on both both ends of the floor eventually. And that's what makes him such a good player. There are no holes in his skill set. He's someone who's strong as fuck. He's going to be able to control the paint defensively in terms of protecting the rim and in terms of, you know, holding his own on the glass at both ends of the floor. Offensively, he can score with either hand. We've seen him make, you know, spinning left-handed hook shots already in the preseason. Uh, he's someone who's comfortable with his back to the basket or facing up. I think he's going to be a pretty good free throw shooter from day one. Eventually, I think he's going to be a really good three-point shooter. That jump shot is not a quick release, but it's very true when he releases it. Uh, he's going to be a good three-point shooter eventually. I don't know if we're going to see the fruits of that this year right away, but I have a lot of faith in his face-up game. And he's just gotten in so much better shape. I cover recruiting for SB Nation, so I wrote a story on Wendell Carter two years ago from the USA Basketball Camp. Back then, he just kind of looked chubby. I asked him who he compared himself to. He said Jaleel Okafor. I'm like, bro, no, you don't want to be Jaleel Okafor. (laughs) He didn't get it at the time. Of course, he was 16 or 17 years old then, but... Uh, you know, the the transformation he's made body-wise from then till now is really tremendous. You look at Wendell Carter now, he's cut. He's ripped already at 19. He's lost a lot of that baby fat that I think was on him when he got to Duke. Uh, and I'm really excited for Wendell Carter this year. I love that Hoiberg's starting him from day one. It's like, you know, the, the Bulls the Bulls don't even have any goals or reasonable expectations this year. I guess that could be an entire entirely separate podcast of like what do the Bulls actually see themselves as this year what do the Bulls want to accomplish well I mean from my perspective I'll tell you that the Bulls have Wendell Carter and he's going to be really fucking good and they might as well just put him on the court from day one because uh with all the other question marks on that team that is the one guy I feel so confident and so positive about heading into this season I think it's going to be great to see him start from day one I can't wait there will be some growing pains but but fuck yeah, dude! I can't wait for Wendell Carter. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, it's a pretty. That's quite the good sales pitch. You got you got me sold there. And like I said, from what I've seen, he was awesome in summer league. Uh, in preseason, he had his moments. I know he played really well in the last preseason game. There were he had some of his issues defensively, but hell, the entire team does. And he's young. Young big men always struggle with defense to start the year. So like, even if he does struggle, like, don't worry about it. He'll come around. It'll be all. It'll be. It'll be fine. And then the last guy we want to talk about is Zach Levine. What do you got for me on Zach Levine, Jason? Yeah, so obviously this offseason, uh, four years, $78 million offer sheet from the Kings. It's fucking Kings. They, I was hoping. I thought there was there was very little cap space left, so I thought maybe the Bulls might get lucky and get Levine on a cheaper deal. The Kings had to ruin it, because they always do. Uh, and so a lot of people were questioning that deal, which was which was fair. It was, Came off an ACL last year. He was terrible last year for the most part. He had like one, the one awesome game against the Timber, against his old team, the Timberwolves. Where he outdueled Jimmy, and that was great. But besides that, he was bad. But he's been working really hard this off season, and he definitely looks like he's got his 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 juice back in those legs. He's looked ridiculously explosive. He was su- super efficient scoring the ball. He's been shooting really well. He's been really aggressive driving the basket. I know one of the things I've written about just wa- watching him in terms of his shot selection. So mostly pretty good. And when you're a guy as athletic as him, you can score off the dribble. You want most of your shots to be three pointers when you're a good shooter, or at the basket when you can drive and get it all the way back to the basket. He's cut out a lot of those terrible long twos that he shot last year. He's done a lot of his work at the rim and from three. Got to the line a lot well. So he just was a really efficient scorer. And while there are obviously questions about his defense and there's questions about his playmaking, his assist to turnover ratio this preseason was like. 7 to 17, or something really bad. There are questions about that. But if at the very least he can be low 20s, low to, I mean, mid 20s is a lot. But if he's scoring 20 plus points per game efficiently, that at least is the bare minimum we can ask for. And I don't know if it'll totally play up to that deal, but he at least looked really good this preseason. Looks like a guy who could be a dynamic scorer. His last year in Minnesota, he averaged 19 a game. And that was the third option. Yeah. 46% from the field, yeah. 39% from three, and 84% from the foul. His true shooting was something like 57, 58, which is, which is excellent. It's very good. 
in this preseason, I think you hit the nail on the head, Jason. He looks so confident and explosive. Obviously, the ACL injury, we hear it again and again. It takes a year, more than a year to fully heal. He does look all the way back now. In three of the five games this year, he's dropped 20-plus points in the preseason. In the opener, he had 21 points in 24 minutes. In the third game, he had 26 points in 25 minutes. In the fourth game, he had 22 points in 28 minutes. It's just been really a joy to watch him attack the basket aggressively. Uh, You know, just like this is the ideal version of Zach Levine, right? Like, we know that Zach Levine is a player with very distinct strengths and very distinct weaknesses. His strengths and what I've seen from him since he was a college player at UCLA, when fucking Steve Alford was starting his son, that was, like, fucking offensive to me, just as a fan of basketball. You have this brilliant athlete who can shoot the ball off the dribble, who can create separation on the bounce, and you're starting Steve Steve Alford's kid over and Bryce Alford. That was just horrendous. But, you know, when Levine declared for the draft, there was a chorus of college basketball reporters who ripped him who said, you know, this kid can't start on UCLA. How is he going to go in the NBA? You know, good luck to Zach Levine. I'm sure he'll be playing a lot on the main, the main red claws next year. These are some of the tweets that college basketball reporters were sending, uh, you know, when he came out. But what I've seen from Levine is someone whose strengths, since he's entered the NBA, have just been reinforced. They've been accentuated uh, in pro-style offenses. But his weaknesses, he's never really improved, right? Like, he doesn't see the floor super well. Last year, we saw him miss Markinen a bunch on pick-and-pop opportunities. He's almost a victim of his own talent. Zach Levine can make shots that are so difficult that even some of the best NBA players in the world can't make them. At the same time, that kind of fools him into thinking he should take these shots. You know what I mean? Like, the shots he's taking are just low-quality shots in general. Yes, they're going to go in sometimes. When they go in, they're going to look fucking awesome on highlight reels. Uh, but it's not really the basis of an efficient offense. And I think, you know, that's the big thing with Levine. Like, yeah, like, like I said, he, he, he cut down. I would say he cut down a lot of those tough shots in this preseason. But the issue is just like the vision, the playmaking, I said, like I said, wasn't there. Like the T had a ton of turnovers and like barely any assists. So like in terms of being like an all around, like dominant offensive player, he has to really improve it. Because that's one thing that, that Jimmy improved on a lot. Like, he, him could score, but then he also developed in terms of pick and roll, in terms of passing really well. So, like, Levine can definitely score. He's going to score a lot. He's going to, he, hopefully, seem, if he can keep this shot profile with layups, threes, dunks, all that kind of, and free throws, be efficient. But in terms of, like, commanding an offense and, like, being able to be, like, an actual, like, number one option, he's got to get better in terms of playmaking for others and stuff like that. Yeah, so, like, this whole year for me is, like, can Zach Levine play up to his strengths? I think that he's going to do that. Uh, I know that a lot of people shit on the Bulls for giving Zach Levine that contract for matching the Kings' $78 million a year offer. I don't think it's a disaster for this reason. If you sign a a max-level free agent on their third contract, like, I don't know, Jimmy Butler, Clay Thompson, Kemba Walker, Kawhi Leonard next year, those guys are demanding $40 million on their third contract. The Bulls are getting Levine for about $20 million a year. It is an overpay, given what he's shown thus far in his brief NBA career. Uh, he just doesn't rate as a net positive in, like, in, in any of the advanced stats. You saw an RPM today. The ESPN released their RPM rankings. I think he was literally like number 388 in the NBA. By the way, Jimmy Butler was number five. So all the people who are saying the Bulls won that trade, I'd say hold your horses because Jimmy Butler is pretty damn good. We don't really know yet about what the Bulls got back for him in terms of, you know, how they can contribute to winning basketball games. But the thing is, Levine is such a talented offensive player. I just want to see him play up to his strengths. I want to see him attack the basket. I want to see Thunder dunks. I want to see him send Jakar Sampson to the G League every damn game with these poster slams. I want to see him rip threes. I want to see him be an efficient offensive player. If he turns the ball over a lot, you know, this might not be a popular opinion, but I don't care. You know, it's like the Bulls are going to need someone to make something out of nothing throughout this season. Levine, uh, while he isn't the nominal point guard, I think in a lot of ways he's going to be the offensive initiator for this team on most possessions. That in itself is going to hurt his efficiency a little bit because he's going to be the guy who's going to be relied to score at the end of shot clock situations. You know, he's going to be the bailout option on every possession offensively if the Bulls don't find an easy bucket. So, you know... That in itself is going to be a strain on his efficiency, but just in terms of what to expect from Levine this year, 
Uh, I just want to see him play up to his strengths and just make small improvements on his deficiencies, right? Like, he had a great quote, I thought, in media day. He said, yeah, you know, I, I realize the problem with me is off-ball defense. Like, wow, what a quote. What self-awareness. Juxtapose that against Jabari Parker, who's like, you don't get paid for defense. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Jabari Parker. How the hell are you supposed to get better if you can't even recognize what your biggest problem is? That's the definition of insanity, basically. Well, I guess part of him was right, though, because he didn't get $20 million despite not playing any defense. So. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, despite the fact that the Bulls have a decent young front, a very good-looking young front court in Wendell Carter and Larry Markman, it's still the same people running the shit, you know? Like, I don't really have faith that the Bulls are going to pull off this rebuild in some grand fashion, do you? Because at the end of the day, it's the same franchise that gave Dwayne Wade $36 million for one year. It's the same franchise that gave Jabari Parker $20 million for basically no reason when everyone knew that wasn't going to work. It's like, until the front office starts showing that they can correctly evaluate uh, you know, their own players or players who are already in the league, it's going to be a long hike up. Now, they did make some front office changes this year uh, that I think are pretty encouraging, but... Uh, in general, you know. Yeah, I mean, they yeah they got they got to prove it. I'm definitely still very skeptical. They've obviously made some solid drafting moves with Wendell and Lowry the last couple of years. You can argue about how much you want to credit them for that. You can still argue about the Jimmy trade and whether that was the right move or wh- whether what they got back was good enough or how that works out. And I mean, and, and when it, at the end of the day, they, I mean, they were. They tried to lose last year, and they still have to win games. Like they, they're still a long way back. These rebuilds like this usually take time, and there's gonna have to, they're gonna have to nail a lot of moves. They're gonna have to add more players. They're gonna probably gonna have to acquire a, star, a legit another legit star somewhere. Like I don't know if they actually have that legit bona fide guy in the roster right now, even if they have some nice young players. So they got a lot of work to do, and they have a lot to show me before I can actually put my faith in them. Uh. So I think we should just wrap up this first episode of the podcast just talking about, you know, realistic expectations for the Bulls. Yeah. I went on a radio show. I was the guest on Sean and Maya in the morning, which is a really fun uh, local radio show here in Chicago. And they, you know, the hosts were saying that they think the Bulls can get anywhere from the four seed to the six seed. In the yeah. East, that's, which I, I thought that's crazy. Now, I think that's interesting, though, because it's like, me and you were in this, uh, we're in this sort of this think tank that is Twitter, that is NBA blogging, where everyone sort of believes the same thing. Uh, and you know, it is interesting to me to hear local sports fans, people who love the Bulls just as much as we do, think that, you know, they have the offensive talent to maybe make a playoff push in the Eastern Conference. The East is obviously really bad this year. Uh, I do think that there's, there's at least a decent chunk of the fan base that thinks that the Bulls are going to fight for a playoff spot this year, mostly because the Eastern Conference is so terrible. Meanwhile, Vegas has the Bulls pegged as, like, the third or fourth worst team in the league. The over-under is set at 30. Uh, Jason, are you taking the over or the under in that? Uh, I've been pretty dead set on the over, even if with it going up. Uh, like I said, it opened at 27. Like you said, now it's at 30. I'm still going over, even with Lowry getting hurt, even with – my qualms about the defense, even though the offense was pretty shitty in the preseason overall. Uh, yeah, I was, they won. I know a lot of people. A lot of people point to they won 27 games last year, but they're like uh, expected win total based on um, their net rating was something like 21 or 22 games. So they did get a bit lucky last year. So which I think was a reason why the win total started so low is was some of the luck and some of the advanced numbers pointed to last year's team being way worse than it actually was record-wise. So that's why they're now still, what, high 20s or around 30. And I still think they could get up and below 30s. I have, a, I have a bet with my friend, Chris. You've actually met him once. He was really that drunk. That guy kind of beat my ass at the, the bottom. Yeah, time. absolutely. It was after uh, D. Rose's game winner, I believe. Yeah, Jason's friend yeah. does not like me talking shit about Illinois basketball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we have a bet every year uh, about the Bulls, just over-unders. And we I set, set the line at 34.5, which is obviously way more than Vegas. But I was feeling semi-confident about that. The Lowry injury does make me feel a little worse about getting the 35, but I think they could definitely go over 30. Yeah, I'm taking the under. I think the defense is going to be too shitty. And the other point is that, like, dude, if Chris Dunn misses any... That, 
That is a great point. They are absolutely fucked if he, if he gets hurt, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm taking the under in that. Uh, the Bulls have hit the over the last couple of years, I think, though. Uh, they, I think they've hit the over the last two or three years. Yeah, so. I mean, last year they had to be, what, like 20, maybe? They had to, I think they were worse team in the league going into last season. And the three alphas year, I think they were like high 30s, and they ended up with, what, like 40, 41? So, yeah, I guess, yeah, they're just going to keep that streak going. They're going over. Damn it. They're going to get, like, I like I'm hoping for 35 or more, although I guess you could argue that would just put, the, if they won, like, 36 games, that would just kind of put them in the middle of muck, and I don't know if that really does anything for them. But if they win, I guess if they win 36 games, that probably means, or more, that probably means the young guys showed a lot and do really well. So I guess I can't really, couldn't complain about that. So I don't know. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add to the to the end of the first episode of the Cash Considerations Bulls podcast, Jason? Um, uh, I guess not really. Just uh, really look, really looking forward to doing this and uh, doing a lot. It's, uh, it's kind of funny thing is I was t- talking about this the other day after Joakim Noah got waived by the Knicks. So like, this is like the first year I've actually kind of been excited about possibly like watching the Bulls since like since like Noah's. Last like really good year with the team, like the team where he put he went like on his MVP charge. Because like, the last few years have just been like so much drama and so much dog shit. Like I've just been kind of gotten sick of watching the Bulls. So I'm I'm kind of hoping I have a little excitement about this year. I'm kind of hoping hoping it's gonna be a fun year, and that's why we kind of got want to do this podcast so we can have fun talking Bulls with you guys, and hopefully the season brings us brings us a lot of interesting things to talk about. All right, well. uh... Jason, I'm Ricky. If you actually listened to this entire first episode of the Cash Considerations podcast, thank you. I think that we're going to do this throughout the season. Hopefully, we get better. Hopefully, we're uh, we're, we're, we're able- definitely going to get better because we don't. We literally have no idea like what we're doing right now. So we're gonna we're gonna get better. Pretty confident in that. Hopefully, <laughs> but if nothing else, we're going to tell you the truth. That's all we can offer the people, Jason. Is Damn truth. right. All right. Well, for Jason, I'm Ricky. Thanks for listening to us. Later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.